To those who are with us online, God bless you and, and welcome into the living room of, of Mission Ebenezer Family Church. From our living room to yours, God bless you and we pray that the word of God ministers to you and finds you there where, right where you are and blesses you um, and gives you this timely word um, as God is speaking to us all today. If you have your Bibles, church, please open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to go into the Word of God, and and we're going to study about something that God gave to the Apostle Paul. And in order to flesh out this teaching that God gave to the Apostle Paul, we're then going to go back into the Gospels. Somebody say the Gospels. We're going to go back into the Gospels, and we're going to look at a story um, to help illustrate this beautiful truth called reconciliation or restoration that God gave to the Apostle Paul. It was a gift to the Apostle Paul and it was a gift to the church. We're going to look at what this word reconciliation means and, and, and then we're going to unpack it for us here at, at Mission. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pastor Koba, Andrea, they're out. Um, this week, and this is Koba's second week out. Last week, he was preaching in Minnesota. Today, he is a part of a great big college movement um, at a conference in Las Vegas called Convoy of Hope, where our disaster relief branch of the Assemblies of God in Convoy of Hope is trying to recruit college students that can be mobilized as volunteers to go anywhere in the world whenever there's a, a, a global crisis. And so Pastor Koba is going to be assisting in getting the word out to those students. Um, so Koba, I don't know if you're tuning in, but I love you, bro, and I miss you. My bro. Last week, we talked about um, the message called A New Direction. Somebody say, A New Direction. We talked about A New Direction. And we unpack the three movements of our church, of our direction. The first is restore. The second is to equip. And the third is to send. And so today, we're going to focus on the first of those three, which is restore. We're going to talk about what it means to restore, what it means to be restored, and look at the Word of God so that we can understand more clearly the direction of Mission Ebenezer Family Church and, and how we can be a part of that move of God. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can follow along in your Bible. You can also follow along on the screens. We'll have it there for you. If you download our church app, you can also open up the, through the, the uh, Bible feature on the church app and follow along with us right there. We want to make it as easy as possible for us to get the word of God. Second Corinthians chapter five verses 14 and following. It says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. God is speaking to, to Paul, giving him the essence, giving him the understanding of what reconciliation means. That when, once somebody is restored to God, we then live for God. And in doing so, we become reconciled to him and to one another. Can I hear an amen? Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Let me stop there for a moment. It says that we do not view anyone from a worldly point of view. In other words, what that means is that God baptizes, God comes upon us and gives us the spirit of the kingdom of God, in order that we see the world through the lens of the kingdom, in order that we see the world through the lens of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? That means also everyone in the world, that we don't just view one another as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. No, because the kingdom of heaven lives in us and in you, the word of God lives in you, we then see the whole world and perceive the whole world in the kingdom. Therefore, here it is, here it is, y'all. Therefore, somebody say, therefore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the archaic, archaia. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled, somebody say, reconciled us to himself. Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. I like how Paul utilizes the second person plural, we. We implore, amen? We, the church. He says, we implore you. He's writing to the church at Corinth. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be ambassadors. Look what he says here in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But that's not it. Let's continue. Chapter six. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Come on, church, let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you and we love you for the day of salvation. We thank you, Father God, because you loved us first. You loved us so much that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to us and for us so that we might be reconciled to you through him. Father, may we, 
your people, your children, the family of God, understand this truth, Father, so that we can be restored to you, so that we can be restored to one another, and that we can be used to restore others right back to you. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes, Father God, to see beautiful things in your word today. We pray this in Christ's name, and everyone said, and everyone said, Come on, church, give the Lord a hand clap today. Give God a hand of praise, Mission Ebenezer. Hallelujah. God gave the Apostle Paul the ministry of reconciliation. Today we want to talk about what it means to be restored to God and to be restored to one another. I like what Paul says here. He says, we are ambassadors. Everybody say ambassadors. In Spanish, embajadores. That means that that we are We are being sent on behalf of God to one another. We represent God just as Christ represented the Father. And this is a wonderful ministry of God that he's given to us as the church. So in other words, it's our job, it's our responsibility to understand fully and wholly what it means to be restored or what it means to be reconciled unto God. Because until we understand what it means to be restored to God or reconciled to God, then how can we be used of God to bring others to a fullness or to a restoration life or a restoration relationship with God? So God wants to use us. Isn't that a blessing? Such a blessing. The word for reconciliation here in Greek is katalasso. Everybody say katalasso. Kata means according to. Lasso means to bring, to exchange. Anybody, does that, does that word kind of ring a bell? Lasso. You, you ever been to the, to the rodeo? You ever seen the rodeo on television? They, they, they tie a rope. And, they, and they, they throw that rope, and they're able to bring that, that young calf unto them to, to rope it, to lasso it, to do what? To bring it back. This idea of, of katalasso, of reconciling, of God reconciling or throwing that, that rope, that loop over us and then bringing us back unto himself. Isn't that a blessing? Reconciliation is what happens in the midst of a relationship that is broken. God brings those two together. God lassos those two together. I love one of the things in the the Mexican-American or the Mexican tradition, the Latin American tradition at a wedding, they have this thing called the lasso. You ever heard of that? Have you ever seen that? In that tradition, there's a lasso. It's like a rope. Some use um, like a golden chain. It looks like a, an infinity sign. It looks like two circles that are joined in the center. It can be um, beads that are, that are gathered together. And they come and they place them over the husband and the wife there, representing a union. Representing a union. So this idea of reconciliation or katalasso represents a union. Being restored means that we become whole again. It, it signifies a change. It, sings, it signifies something new that is taking place. How many, how many of us um, are following today? Amen. 
And so for us to see what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, the old man, the old woman, if they are in Christ, is renewed unto God. They're renewed to God. The old has passed away and all things become what? All things become what? All people, when they are restored, when they receive Christ, become what? New. We become new creations through Christ. Spiritually speaking, isn't that a blessing? It's not only spiritual, it's emotional. It's not only emotional, it becomes social. It's not only social, it becomes physical. To be reconciled unto God, to be restored. It helps us to understand that God has called us and allows us to become a new creation. A genesis. There's a new beginning for us. Praise the Lord. Paul was speaking this language because he was communicating to the church at Corinth on things such as understanding and communicating unto Gentiles and Jews alike the essence or the nature of being restored or renewed to the Lord. Not through religion, but through Christ. Through the person of Christ. Through the love of Christ. Hallelujah. To understand this, let's go, let's go back to the text. Verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. How many of you have ever been compelled by something? And what does it mean to be compelled? It means that we are moved. It means that, that we are nudged. We are, we are prodded. We are urged. On to something. We are moved. Hallelujah. For we are compelled by Christ's love. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. To sin. Amen. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died. He died for them and was raised again. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. See, there, there comes a point in a person's life, in a believer's life, in a Christian's life, where we have to make conscious decisions that we are not going to continue to live according to the way we used to live. According to the way of the world. A worldly point of view. That means the way we perceive things. That means the way we live. It means the way we love. It means the way we demonstrate love. It means the way we serve. It means obedience to God. Obedience to Christ. It means allowing God in us and the power of the resurrection to bring us to the point of doing things that we had no idea we could ever do. Ha <laughs> ha. Let me say that again over here to the west side because y'all didn't get that. Hallelujah. It means that God brings us to the place of understanding that we can actually do things that we didn't know that we could do. Through the power of the love of God. And that's the power of Christ. 
Because Christ lives in us. We are not void of Christ. We are not, we are not absent of the power of Christ in our lives. No, the power of Christ and the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's a realization that, that many of us need to come to if we haven't come to that place yet. Or maybe we still find it hard to come to that, that realization or that place in our lives. Amen? And if that's the case, that's okay. But we have to start moving towards Christ because Christ has called us to be ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. Oh man, can I talk about what it means to be an ambassador? You ever, you, ever, you ever felt that you're not worthy to represent something or someone? You ever felt like your preparation was not complete yet so you could not fully represent or speak on behalf or, or, or move and act on behalf of something because of, of, of an insecurity that we have felt? Well, guess what? In Christ, you don't have to worry about any of those insecurities anymore. God is the one who has qualified you. God is the one who has qualified me. He has qualified the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ to represent him in the world. Has nothing to do with your past. Has nothing to do with what's on your driver's license. Has nothing to do with what's on your birth certificate. Has nothing to do at the, about the address that you live has nothing to do with the, the amount of money in your bank account. Has nothing to do with, with your, your track record. It has nothing to do with your record. Can I hear an amen? Give God a hand of praise. It has nothing to do with your failures. It has nothing to do with your shortcomings. It has nothing to do with your ability or inability. It has nothing to do with your able body or not able body. It has nothing to do with your gender. It has nothing to do with your documentation, according to the United States of America, whether you're, you're documented or undocumented. God has called us to be ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of heaven, representatives of Christ. Somebody asked, well, I can be, somebody says, so why do we come to church, pastor? So that we can love up on one another. We can be encouraged in the word of God so that we can be corrected and convicted so that we can have fellowship with one another so that we can be um, sent by God every week to go back into the world to put on the seal of ambassador to represent Christ to everybody that we encounter. But we work out what it means for us in the church right here in the body of Christ. Working on our, our lives being restored to God first and then working on being restored to one another. Somebody say, so that. So that we can be restored to the world and the world can be restored to us. And who are we? The body of Christ. 
when the world is restored to the body of Christ, in us, through us, we are living for them. We are living to them because we are Christ in the world. That's what it means to be restored. Restored to God, family, church, and community. Repeat that, repeat that with me. Say, I have been restored to God, family, church, and the world. Hallelujah. It's as simple as that. That's our first movement of the mission. It's for us to be reconciled to God through worship. Worshiping the almighty God, almighty Father. And Paul goes on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Praise the Lord. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so if God gave us, through Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to have or for us to possess, or for us to live out the ministry of reconciliation. It means that God begins to use us to take that spiritual lasso and begin to wrangle everybody that God has put in our path right back to him. Katalasso. Oh, man. Praise the Lord. Come on. I'm going to introduce you to Jesus. So God is using us. God's using us as his hands and his feet, his body. God has chosen us, the church, for that very purpose. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we have been given the seal of Christ in order to go and represent him in the world. Amen? And this is part of our new direction. It's very simple. It's to be restored to God and then restored to one another. Amen? In order to understand this, we have been thinking about the ways in which the Bible illustrates this theological truth that Paul has given to us. And so I'd like for us to go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 and let's see here what God says in the good book. If you have it, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Hallelujah. We got plenty of time today, even with our baby dedication, to, di to, to dive into God's word, to dig into God's word. How many of you love God's word? How many of you love to study God's word? How many of you love to live out God's word? How many of you, how many of you love it when the body of Christ lives out God's word? Amen? Because then it makes us proud to be a Christian, right? It makes us proud to go out and represent Christ in the world. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 I want us to keep restoration and reconciliation in mind while we're reading this passage. 
Look what it says here in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Somebody say Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus, Jesus overheard. Jesus had rabbit ears. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want you to think about what's going on here now. We're shifting gears a little bit. We're going from theology to biblical narrative. Theology is what do we think or what, do, what, is, what is written about God? Theology means the study of God. So Paul's letters and Paul's books oftentimes are theology. Are Paul's thoughts about who God is. When we go to the Gospels, like Matthew, then we actually read the biblical narrative or the story of what's actually taking place. So now what we're doing is we're going to read a gospel narrative about the life of Jesus, his ministry, his ministry to the disciples, the, the ministry of the disciples as it pertains to being restored to God and restored to one another. Amen? Are we seeing how that works? Is that very clear? Praise the Lord. First off, I want us to understand here that Matthew's name, Matthäus, means gift from God. Gift from God. That's what my wife's name means in Yoruba. Olabumi. A gift from God. This tax collector who is a Jewish person who collected taxes, who had his own shop or store where people had to come and give to Caesar what belonged to Caesar. Matthew was a Jew who was collecting money from his own people and giving it to the Roman governor's that oversaw all of the Jewish people who lived in that, that province, that region. Do you think that Matthew was a beloved person in the Jewish community? No. no. Especially if it was a tax collector who knew all the law and would go and stick it to him. Man, if he didn't like you, he would really make you pay up. And he knew the law. And so they had to obey Jesus was walking along and called Matthew out from his post. Just like Jesus called the other four disciples earlier on in the Gospels, James and John, Peter and Andrew. Now he finds Matthew, a tax collector, a Jewish person, and says, Hey, 
gift from God. Come with me. Follow me. And the Bible says that immediately Matthew left his post and followed Jesus. Now, there's a different point to the story here of Matthew's life that's different from when Jesus called the, the original four disciples, James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder, Boanergos. Different from Peter and Andrew's calling where he says, come follow me, I will make you what? Fishers of men. Here, Jesus had a different angle. How many of us know that God knows each and every one of us, the hairs on our head. He knows us by name. He knows how we made us. We are all unique. And there is not one person on the, the face of the planet that is identical to who you are, not even identical twins. In other words, God sees something in you and God wants to use you in everything that you are. He wants to redeem it as we are restored to him so that God can reach others in the world who have not yet heard the message of love. He says, huh, there's one of my sons. He's a gift from God. So guess what? Any gift from God is going to be used as a gift to others. To bless others. I want you to know that each and every one of us in here today has been restored to God, reconciled to God. If we have said yes to Jesus, you are a gift from God. Your life is a gift from God. You being who you are, just the way you are, are a gift from God. You don't have to change one thing to come to church. You don't have to change one thing to be used of God. You don't have to change one thing to be a child of God. You're already his child because he gave you life. He breathed life into you. God just wants to get all the rest of our beloved family to the place of understanding who he is and how much he loves them so that they can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And they can be children of redemption, not just of creation. So we see here that Jesus says, Akaluthai, follow me. And Matthew followed Jesus. Somebody say, Matthew followed Jesus. And when he followed Jesus, Matthew invited Jesus to his house. When Jesus was there at Matthew's house, the Bible says, Poloi Teloni. There were many sinners and tax collectors. The, the word for sinners is Hamartoloi, from the Greek word Hamartia. And Hamartia means to miss the mark. Or to fall short. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have missed the mark. For we all have missed the mark. Since Adam. See in Genesis. The original sin. The fall of man. Created brokenness in the world. 
And it was the brokenness that was experienced in the garden, in paradise, that needed to be restored. So God, through his redemption plan, said, what must we do? And the son, Jesus Christ, says, I'll go, send me. I will reconcile all of creation back unto us. Send me, Jesus said. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that Paul says, because all died, because one died, all died. We were all become sinners because of Adam's sin, because of original sin, which means that we all must be restored or reconciled to God through Christ. Praise the Lord. In other words, God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus sat with gatherers or collectors of public taxes. And it's, it says he sat with people who had fallen short or missed the mark and dined with them. And the Greek word for dine or, or having fellowship in this particular word is sunanekemai. Simply means this. As they sat, they were chilling. The Bible says that they were relaxed. They were enjoying a meal. They were kicking it. Jesus is with Matthew at his house with his friends, his other tax collector friends and other people who did not know God. Enter in the Pharisees, the religious lot. People who came and said, why does this man named Jesus sit and chill and kick it with sinners. Aren't we supposed to be set apart? Aren't we supposed to stay away from darkness? Aren't we supposed to stay as far away from we can as we can from people who who detest us because of the way they live? That sounds like judgment to me, doesn't it? Sounds like condemning words and thoughts to me, doesn't it? So I want us to get into the, the mindset or the frame of mind of thinking about what's going on. These people who knew who Jesus was by virtue of what he meant to their friend Matthew and by virtue of what they had been hearing about Jesus of Nazareth believed that they could be themselves around Jesus. Come on, think about it for a moment. Are we the kind of Christians that, that others, that the world thinks that they can't really be themselves around us? Are we the kind of Christians that have somehow given off some kind of vibe 
that we're better than others so that they don't want to be around us? It's like, do I, do I, do I, something wrong with me? How come folks don't want to be around me? If sinners sat at the table with Christ and were relaxed, were enjoying a good meal, there must have been something about Christ that he was given off that allowed them to be themselves. There must have been something about Jesus. There must have been something that was different from him versus the other religious folks of the day and age. Interesting how Matthew tells the story where there's Jesus, his disciples, Matthew, a recent follower of Christ, Matthew's friends who happen to be tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, any of you guys ever seen um, the movie or the, the, the series called The Hunger Games? Do you guys know who the aristocrats are in, in The Hunger Games? The rich people that have all the money and enjoying all the feasts and, and they're the ones sitting up, you know, at the, at the, like at the football games and they're watching the games from afar, enjoying, you know, eating, drinking tea and eating scrumpets. You know, drinking their, their, their tea with the pinky up. <laughs> and they're dressed in, in, in costumes and garbs and, and, and everything. And they're just so just flamboyant. Do you guys remember those people in the, in the, the movie series, The Hunger Games? That's the picture that I get right here. That's the picture that I get of people that had lots of money and that could solve all their problems with their money and, and hung around together with one another because nobody wanted to be with them. Nobody wanted to fellowship with them. They had their own lifestyle. They had their own way of doing things. They had their own communities. And yet Jesus was sitting right there, chilling with them, eating with them, laughing with them, allowing them to be themselves. Have you ever gotten into an argument with somebody? Raise your hand if you ever got into an argument with somebody. Raise your hand. Let me see. No? Oh, we got like 50% of the people putting their hands up. <laughs> Most of the time you get into an argument based off of philosophy or, or belief. You'll never convince a soul of your point of view. How many of you have found that to be true as well? Because even if I recognize that you're right, I ain't going to let you know you're right. I'm going to dig my heels in even more, you know what I mean? Like, just because. Exactly. I don't care. Fake, fake news. You know, you, you ever get into arguments with people that says, watch, watch, and they grab their phone and start looking stuff up? I can't stand those people. I'm just like that. <laughs> Always got to be right. Praise the Lord. Watch this. Jesus didn't need to be right. Because he embodied what was right. Jesus didn't need to argue with people who weren't interested in 
hearing what he had to say unless they understood that Jesus was interested in them. You, might have, you may have heard people say, people don't care about what you have to say until they know that you care for them. What's the point of arguing for the sake of arguing? Although some of us love to argue and that's your gift. Should have been a lawyer. But Jesus said, I've come to restore all of creation unto God. And here in scripture, it says that Matthew, who was restored to God through Jesus Christ and belief in Christ and following Christ, allowed himself to be used by God, by Jesus, to have fellowship with his own. In other words, Matthew gave his world, his people, to God. What does that look like for you? Does it start with prayer? Does it start with love? Have you ever thought about, like I have, my wife and I, we, this last year and a half is really, really awesome. We've been able to just look at our lives, think about our lives, and we said, you know what? We have a lot of Christian friends. And our whole world almost seems like it's a great big Christian world. And it's not a problem. I mean, that's just the way I was raised, and that's, that's the world that I, I live in. But the Lord has been challenging us to broaden and expand our friendships, our world, to others who are not Christians. I don't even need to go down the list of, of, of naming all the people that the Lord has been showing my wife and I to befriend and to, to love. God or not, regardless of their, their, their sex, their, their, their gender, regardless of, of their sexual orientation, regardless of their faith, regardless of, of their, their practice, no matter what, the Lord is showing us the essence of what restoration and reconciliation means. How will we ever be able to reach those whom God loves with the message of the gospel if we don't even know how to sit and love and embrace and care for the world. That's what restoration is. The religious people, the church people that didn't get it showed up and they asked the question that I believe God is calling us to ask today. Highlight this in your Bible. Sometimes it's not the statements that we need to pay attention to, but it's the questions that are asked to Jesus and the answers that he gives that we need to pay attention to. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why? 
<laughs> Why isn't Jesus just always at the temple? Why isn't Jesus just always with the Pharisees? Why isn't Jesus just always with the people who already have trusted in him? Why is it that Jesus gives himself to everyone? Because he said, I did not come for the righteous, but I've come for the sick. But I want to ask another question that's not there. If I were there, if I were a fly on the wall, come on, baby. If I was a fly on the wall in Matthew's house, I bet he lived in decadence. I bet he had servants, man servants, female servants. If I was a fly on the wall, I would be asking the question, why do the sinners and tax collectors eat with him? Why do they eat with Jesus? What is it about Christ that they are not threatened by? Haven't you ever had that? that people feel threatened by who you are? Because of the way we've been or because of the way we talk or because of the way we are? And don't, don't hear me wrong, church. I'm not saying don't be... Don't be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying don't, don't stop talking about God. I'm not saying don't stop letting people know about Jesus. I'm saying all of that. But I'm saying, and then some. That's what it means to be restored to God. Matthew's life was restored to God, and Matthew allowed his life to be used to bring others into a life of restoration with God as well. That's who we are. That's what God wants to do in us. That's called evangelism. It's everything that Jesus has taught us in the scriptures. I believe God has given us the eyes to see. Not only that, Jesus was demonstrating to another group of people, how it was supposed to be done. And what group was that? His disciples. His disciples were sitting there at the table with Jesus and with all of Matthew's friends, and they were watching Jesus as he was showing them the way it's supposed to be done. Come on, church, we're going to clap. Give Lord a hand clap. Come on. I'm going to ask Dekron to come on up. Come on up, D. Help me out over here on the keys, my, my, my man. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about preparing my children for the world. My son, Elisha, who's 15. He's over there. Raise your hand, tiger. My 12-year-old son, Judah, for the world. He's teaching today the four and five-year-olds. He's teaching the lesson. He's one of the helpers. Watch this. Recently, I've been thinking 
my wife and I have been praying and talking about what God has called us to do to prepare them for the world. And the thing that the Lord ministered to me through the ministry of reconciliation, through the ministry of Catalasso, is that we, the, the Christian church in America, have been too focused on what makes us angry. We've been too focused on what is so different from us or from what we think or from what we believe or from what scripture quote unquote teaches that we've only given our children weapons in order to deal with the issues in the world but not giving them tools. Not giving them the tools that they need to know who they are. To love anybody that they encounter just the way Jesus would love that person. You will never be able to argue a point and change somebody's life based on a viewpoint, based on what you think, not even going to scripture, not even trying to scare the hell out of them. Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples, say to us, the tools that are needed and the spiritual weapons of warfare like prayer and love to win the whole world for God. So my children will know who they are and they will have the tools necessary to have friends that have been brainwashed by the ways of the world, praise God, they're not going to be changed. They're, the way of thinking is not going to be changed until God gets a hold of them. Only God can do a miracle. Only God can change a heart. Only God can change a mind. Only God can change the way we see. Only God can open our eyes. Only God can open our ears. Only God can open our heart. Only God can open our life. But far too long, we've been closed off to the way God wants to reach others. And he's showing us his church, the body of Christ, a new way, a new direction. If we say we're Christians, then we live by the, the Bible. We live by the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Amen? Mission Ebenezer, let's all stand to our feet.